So as they are, are returning, you can turn to Psalm 16, if you would. Everyone seems to be getting there. Finding mom and dad again. All right, so this summer we've been preaching through the Psalms. Uh, we have 10 Psalms in 10 weeks again. So this week we are on Psalm 16. And when you'll get there, you'll see this heading. It says, A Mictum of David. And so again, this is uh, King David again who has written this. We don't know the, the full context of this Psalm. Uh, some Psalms we do know that it's given to us, and other Psalms we don't know for sure. Um, but we start with this this word mictum is there. Uh, it's here in uh, Psalm 16, and then it's also in Psalms 56 through 60. Those are the only places we see it. Uh, we don't know for sure what that word means. Again, we see different words uh, throughout Psalms at the beginning that we don't know what they mean. It's probably either a liter literal. Uh, literary term or a, a musical term. So, um, it, Cooper, this isn't working. Get me the introduction slide if you want to take a look at that. Okay, this psalm is a little different than other psalms we've been through so far. Uh, some of the other psalms are psalms of lament, expressing sadness and grief. Um, there's other psalms that call God to action against the wicked, right? The wicked rise up. How long, O Lord? Fight against this wickedness. Um, there are other psalms where David feels alone and abandoned by God. This is not one of them. So this is a contrast to those a little bit. In Psalm 16 here, we get a glimpse of David's close, intimate relationship with God. And so there's an intimacy of, of fellowship that comes uh, across in this psalm. And there's great joyful fellowship with God. And we'll also read of David's confidence in life and in death. And so let's pray, and then we'll read through the psalm here. Father God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for this psalm that you have given us. Help us to see your word as truth, and help us by your spirit to receive it and apply it to our lives, that we may be changed and we may find great joy in your presence. So would you do this according to your will, in Christ's name, amen. All right, Psalm 16. <clears throat> Preserve me, O God. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
And so the first thing we see here is the knowledge of God, verses 1 and 2. Preserve me. So he's asking to be preserved in this great blessing, in this relationship. He's taking refuge in the Lord, as we've seen in other psalms uh, earlier this summer. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And so here, even in what appears to be maybe a good time for David in his life, a time of blessing, even in that, the Lord is still David's refuge, right? He asked for God to preserve him, to uphold him in this place of blessing. And even in the pleasant, joyful times, David here is acknowledging his need for the Lord, right? We are always in need for the Lord, always looking to him as our refuge and our strength. And David also acknowledges here that there's no good thing apart from God, right? No good thing apart from God. So two things I want us to consider here. First thing, uh, keep your place in Psalm 16 and turn over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, almost to the end of your Bible, right after Hebrews. James chapter 1, starting verse 16, we read this. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So we see here that no good gift, no blessing is there other than what comes from God. Every good blessing in your life is a gift to you from God. It's coming from Him. But every good gift is intended to draw your mind to its giver, to the giver of the gift, that you might know Him more. And so when you taste good food, you think of the goodness of God. When you look out into nature, you recognize God's creation. You see it as his beautiful creativity. When you see a little baby, you remember God is the giver of life. So God is the giver of all good things, all good gifts. But those good gifts are to draw your mind to him that you might know him better. So that's the first aspect here of there is no good apart from God. But the second thing is to consider the presence of God, right? He says that there is no good apart from you, apart from God. There's no good in your life apart from the presence of God. In other words, you can have everything your heart desires, but if you have all of that, and don't have true knowledge of God and knowledge of his presence with you and experiencing that, you're in a place of great want, of great need, of great desire. The presence of God is the greatest good that we have. And so verse number two here is a statement of faith. Right? It's a faithful statement. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. It takes faith to say that because our flesh... Right? Our fleshly desires draw us away from Christ. We see temptation. We want us and our desires, the desires within us kick in. We want the money. We want the influence. We want the popularity. Right? And so we have to see these good gifts. We begin to see these good gifts as things that we should have, that we are owed maybe even at times, rather than looking to God and his presence as our all in all. 
God tells us that our greatest good would simply be to know him. Have you thought of it that way? That that is the best thing that you can have in this life is to know God and to experience his presence with you. There's nothing greater than that. That is God's purpose for you is to know him. Turn quickly to Philippians chapter 3. Middle of the New Testament, Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 7, Paul writes this. He writes, but whatever gain I had, in other words, all the good things this world has to offer, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So there is, he's saying there's tremendous worth just in knowing Jesus. There's so much worth and value in that that it far outweighs all of the good things of this world, knowing Christ. It far surpasses it. Everything else in this world is a loss in comparison just to knowing Christ, being his presence. He continues in verse 8, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I consider them as garbage, as leftover junk to be thrown away. Why would he say that? Why would we view all the things of this world in that way? Well, he continues, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul's desire is to know Christ and to be in his presence and to experience him at work in his life. There's no greater thing. So let me ask you, do you want the garbage that the world will offer you? The temptations that they will throw before you? Or do you really, truly want to know Jesus Christ and the presence of God? There's no comparison. So understand, we're not, I'm not discounting all the good gifts and the good blessings of God. Right? He does bless us. He does gift us. He does give us good things. We are to enjoy those and use those for his honor and for his glory. But again, as we saw in James 1, those gifts should lead us to a knowledge of him, to a knowledge of the giver. We should be drawn to him. And so knowledge of God and knowledge of the truth leads to our faithfully living before God. And as we'll see, continuing on, great joy in his presence. So back to Psalm 16. So as we know God, we also delight in God's people. Look at verse 3. He says, As for the saints of the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And so one of the good gifts of God that he gives to us is community. It's the fellowship of believers, of his people, of all those who have come to faith in Christ and are redeemed by his blood. He brings us together as saints gathering, as a church, as brothers and sisters, um, and we are to delight in one another, right? God's people are a reflection to us of God himself, right? God has made himself manifest. He made himself 
present and known among his people, in his people, within the church. The Holy Spirit indwells us together as believers. The church, therefore, is God's representation, his presence in this world. We see in John 17, you don't have to turn there. In John 17, Jesus is praying about us, about those who would come to believe through the apostles' teaching. In verse 22, he says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. So Jesus says to God the Father, God, the glory that God the Father has given to Jesus, God the Son, Jesus now gives to us. We are his glory. And so who here wants to see the glory of Christ? Anybody want to see the glory of Christ? Good. Turn and look at the people around you. There's the glory of Christ in this world. There's a goodness to the church. God did not create you to be alone. He didn't create you to be isolated. He created you to be in fellowship. There may be moments in this world where you have to take a stand alone by yourself, but that should be the exception, not the norm. God created you to be in fellowship with other believers. We've seen in some of the Psalms already this summer that David at times felt like he was abandoned by God and alone, right? But here he recognizes the blessing of uh, the other saints. He's delighting in the people of God. And so how about you? Do you delight in God's people? Are you excited to come to church every Sunday morning because you get to see God's people and spend time with them and talk with them and fellowship with them? Do you by faith consider it a privilege and a joy to be in fellowship with other believers? To delight in God is to delight in his people. And so as David knows God and delights in his people, he then takes a stand against false religion. Look at verse 4. See what's happening here. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. And so apparently at this time, there were some people that David was aware of who were breaking the first commandment, right? The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. However, there were some here who were practicing this false religion, putting other gods before the one true God. And so why would this be prohibited? Why is this the first commandment that there should be no other gods? The answer is because nothing compares to the Lord God, right? He is the greatest ever. There is no other God. Any other God is false. It's an idol. It's something made up. It's false religion. The Lord God is the only God. He is the only one worthy of worship. None other is worthy of any bit of worship. And our God is a jealous God, Because of who he is, he is a jealous God. He desires worship of him alone because he is worthy. And so therefore, the the sorrows of those who worship false gods are multiplied. Why are their sorrows multiplied? Well, probably two things. First, because they're away from the presence of God. They are removing themselves from the presence of God, which, as we saw, is all good things are in God's presence, right? They are apart from God, apart from you, There is no good. So they are removing themselves from God's presence, from his place of blessing. 
And therefore, secondly, because of that, they are under God's wrathful punishment, right? The wicked in this world who go after other gods, there is punishment for them. We've seen that in other psalms, those psalms where uh, there is God's wrath called upon, God is called to action in his wrath against the wicked. And so as this is happening, David here takes a personal stand against it. You see that? He declares that he will not engage in this pagan worship of blood offerings and of swearing to false gods. Their worship is distorted. It's not true worship of the one true God. And so David's taking a stand. He's committed to the Lord alone. He's keeping himself holy, set apart in this way. This is similar to Joshua. Remember the book of Joshua, at the end of the book of Joshua, They've gone in, they've conquered the land. Joshua gathers the nation of Israel and he says to them, choose this day whom you will serve. So make a choice. One true God or false gods, false idols. And he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's making this commitment that he will not defile himself himself with other gods and with pagan worship. David is doing this here. He's making a stand. Right? He's not moved by these idolaters, but his commitment and his love is for the Lord God alone. How about for you? Is that true of you as well? Are you fully committed to God? Is he your first love? Is he first in your eyes? Does he have number one priority? There's no mixing of idol worship and worship of God. Worship of God takes courage even in our day, right? It takes courage. It means you'll be out of place in this world. And many in our culture try to mix the two. Come Sunday morning, worship God, and go out and live worldly the rest of the week. It doesn't work. Worship of God alone. And so then in contrast to false religion is true religion and the blessing of God's presence. So we're contrasting those who worship idols, false gods, and then having the Lord as your God and the blessing of being with him. Verse 5, David says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So David here gives us these physical illustrations to reflect spiritual realities. Right? We read of these specific illustrations as others throughout Psalms and throughout the, the Bible, physical things to represent spiritual reality, to picture them. And so these all here are indicating the great blessings of God. Right? So first we come across the word portion. Portion means your part or what belongs to you. Right? The part that is yours. Imagine I had a big chocolate cake up here, and I cut off a piece, and I gave it to you. That piece would be your portion, right? Your possession. That would be for you to take and to enjoy. So the Lord is my portion. Then we read about a cup. Your cup is what you drink, what you take in, what you take down, what is yours to have and to possess. So the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my cup. David's saying, the Lord is mine. He belongs to me. I'm with him. We are together. He is a blessing to me. He's talking about being in God's presence, the presence of God in his life. Then we read that you hold my lot. 
My lot signifies all that is mine. Again, everything that is to come to you is your lot. It is in God's hands. Your lot, all good things, all of God's blessings to you is in his hand. He is the one who blesses. And that blessing is ultimately giving himself to you. Your lot. And then lines. Uh, the lines here is a picture of boundary lines marking off uh, a, a somebody's um, land, right? Your allotment of land. Think of it as like a fence put up around your yard, right? And that picture is all that is your possession. All inside of there, all inside those boundary lines, inside of your fence is for you, for you to possess and to enjoy. And so David says that these lines have lined up in pleasant places. There's good things. His possession is very good. There's great blessing in it. And so what's going on here in these pictures, these illustrations, they're showing for us just God's blessing, the blessing of God's presence to David. But it's not just the physical blessing and the physical gifts that are of great blessing, but it's the presence of the Lord himself. The Lord is with David. And so David is using these physical items to show the spiritual blessing of all that the Lord has done in giving himself to David and to his people. So the Lord is the portion, right? The Lord is the cup. The Lord is the, the lot. The Lord is all that is within those boundary lines. The presence of God and his working in your life is God's great blessing, is the, your possession given to you. This is the good and perfect gift coming from the Father. He's giving himself to you. And so we see this here in, in two ways. First is that it's true here and now, right? It's true here for David. David is experiencing the presence of God in his life in the here and now. And that's true for us. God's presence is yours through the gospel, right? The gospel is about God giving himself to you. And so, yes, you have forgiveness of sin. Yes, you've been given righteousness. Yes, you have new life. But all of that is order to bring you into the Holy of Holies, into God's very presence, that you might, experiencing, might experience God Almighty himself. First Peter talks about this. Chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, why? That he might bring us to God. That you might be brought into the presence of God. That's why Christ died for you on the cross. That you might be with God in his presence. And so the gospel leads us to God who is himself its greatest treasure. Right? You being in relationship with God and fellowship with God in his presence is the greatest blessing of the gospel and is the ultimate purpose of the gospel. And so you can fellowship with God. You can worship him. You can be in his presence. God gives himself to you through Christ. So the Lord is with David and is his greatest treasure. Would you say that for yourself? Is that true of you, that God himself is your greatest treasure? 
Is he your heart's delight? So not only is this true of God's presence for this time, for the here and now, which is true, we are in God's presence now, but David also speaks of a beautiful inheritance. Now again, there is a physical inheritance in the land that David is talking about, but God's word is also clear that there is an eternal inheritance. You as a child of God have an inheritance to come. It is an eternal inheritance that will never fade It will never disappear. It will never be taken away, ever. It will be forever. In your eternal inheritance, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? You'll receive a crown. Some of you might even get a mansion. Right? You'll walk on those streets of gold that you've heard about. But none of that really matters too much because your greatest treasure, your greatest inheritance is God giving himself to you. That is your greatest inheritance. So when we look up, think to eternity, sometimes we think about all the stuff we'll get, right? All the good things that we'll see. All the good possessions that we'll have. But none of that compares to seeing Christ, to knowing him, and being in the presence of God for all eternity. That is your greatest treasure. Nothing else compares to that. Again, that is the ultimate eternal purpose of the gospel, of God sending his son to redeem you, to purchase you out of your sin and into his presence. That's God's purpose. An eternal inheritance to come. There is nothing greater than that. I think that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. Being in God's presence is the best thing. Well, what about all the good stuff? The streets of gold, won't that be great? Yeah. But being in God's presence is your great reward. It is your inheritance to come. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says this. He says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life is to know God. To know God is eternal life. We sang about that in one of our songs earlier. His presence is the greatest blessing you could ever have. So I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So is Jesus Christ your greatest treasure? Is your heart, your love, your devotion, is it with Christ? Do you long to be with Jesus more and more? So when David speaks of his portion and his cup and his lot and where these lines have fallen, he's not just speaking of physical blessings. He's referring to the presence of God, God giving himself to David. To be with the Lord is to have everything. That's why the Apostle Paul said he'd rather depart this life and be with Christ fully. To be in the presence of God is to have everything here in this life and in the life to come. And so next, as David is here experiencing God, we see the nearness of God, the closeness of God. Verse 7, he says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. 
Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul uses the same wording when he's discussing prayer as kind of the the help or the, the solution for anxiety, right? He says, the Lord is at hand. God is at hand. He is near. He is close by. And we see the result of this close fellowship, this nearness with God at the end of verse 8, where David says, I will not be shaken. There's a confidence that comes knowing that God is near, a faithfulness to trust God with all the circumstances of life, whatever they come. God is near. So how do we experience this nearness of God, this closeness of God? Well, it's founded in his word, all right, through counsel, through instruction. How does that come? First, personal devotion, just time spent in God's word and prayer. David says here, I bless the Lord. I worship the Lord. He's spending time in God's very presence. Second, it comes through the church, teaching and preaching of the Bible. Third, it comes, as we talked about, through God's people. We experience the nearness of God in fellowship with his people. Fourth, your meditation on God's word. It's your heart instructing you, right, because you have God's word implanted in your mind and in your heart. So you're recalling to mind God's word and the promises of it. But notice here David's purposefulness in this. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. This is a purposeful seeking after God, seeking his presence. It's an application of Psalm 105 verse 4, which says, seek the Lord and his strength Seek his presence continually. So how about for you? Are you purposeful in seeking God's presence? Are you intentional in your pursuit to know God more and more? The Lord is near. He is at hand. Do you take time to recognize that throughout your day? When you get up in the morning, as you drive off to wherever you're going, while you're at work or school, when you're on the playground having a good time, when you're sitting in the waiting room at the doctor's office, when you're getting groceries, when you're grieving the loss of a loved one, the Lord is near. And as you set the Lord before you, you are blessed by his presence. You return the blessing to the Lord then and worship to him. When David says, I bless the Lord, he's worshiping God. The Lord is near. And because the Lord is near, because there is great blessing in his presence, therefore there is joy in life and joy in death. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So David here uses words like glad and rejoice and joy. He's just kind of soaking in God's presence, celebrating all the blessing that God has in his life. He also expresses a security, a faithful confidence in all of the promises of God. My flesh dwells secure. 
And then verse 14, or excuse me, verse 10, then there's this contrast, uh, the blessings of God, of being in God's presence with the absence of God, right? So to be apart from God, apart from Christ, is Sheol. It's death. It's corruption. But to be in Christ is life and blessing. And so even in physical death, there is great confidence, right? Physical death is not the end for believers, but it's the gateway to this fullness of joy, this completeness, right? Right now we experience joy in Christ, right? We experience fellowship with him. But when these physical bodies die, there is fullness, there is completeness of joy and pleasures and blessing and worship forevermore, fully in God's presence. Now, for those of you who, as we read, especially verse 10, you'll, you'll mind will, will trigger, because this is quoted in the New Testament, right? We see it in the New Testament. So it's beyond just David's experience here, but verse 10 was true of Jesus Christ as well. So Peter at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 quotes some of these verses and applies them to the resurrection of Jesus, right? Jesus is uh, not abandoned to shield. He has not seen corruption, right? Paul, preaching in the synagogue in Antioch, Pisidia, uh, in Acts 13, does the same. He quotes this verse, verse 10, and then applies it to the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is alive. He's not experiencing death and corruption. And so these verses here, the end of, of, of Psalm 16, uh, apply to Jesus and his resurrection, but we also need to keep in mind that Jesus is the first fruits, right? He's the first fruits. So this then also applies to your salvation and your resurrection as well, right? The, the day when these bodies will be glorified, when you are raised to be with Christ forever. Death will not end your joyful fellowship with God because Jesus Christ has conquered death. Death is no more. This is eternal life. There is eternal blessing in God's presence. And then in verse 11, David says, you make known to me the path of life. Well, we know the path of life is Jesus Christ, right? Jesus says, John 17, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. This is eternal life, is to know God and to know Jesus Christ. Verse 11 then, in your presence there is fullness of joy. It's not a partial. Right now we experience a partial right? One day there will be a fullness, a complete joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The nearness and the presence of God first brings pleasure. There's great blessing there, but then those pleasures, those blessings are forevermore. They're for all of eternity, right? So there's blessings and pleasures now, and there's blessings and pleasure for all of eternity. It's never-ending joy. So do you need more joy in your life? Get to know God more. Are you missing true, real pleasure in your life? Look to Jesus. Delight yourself in the Lord. See him as your portion. Find all of your satisfaction in him. And look to the day of reward when you will see his face and be fully in his presence forevermore for all of eternity. Let's pray.
Father God, we do come and we bless you. We worship you. God, help us to delight in you more and more. We see here from your word that we have no good apart from you. So God, we want to be with you in your presence. Help us to enter into your presence in faith. Help us to experience you more and more working in our lives. Let us be purposeful in seeking after you, to know you, and to grow in our walk with you. God, we know that you make known to us the path of life. Help us to continue to look for Christ, to find great joy in your presence, and to look to the day of eternity when all of this world will fade away and we will be fully in your presence. And Christ will be our greatest reward and our eternal blessing. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.